Hello, everybody, and welcome to Hi. No. No. I'm Joseph. He missed the or. Start again. <laughs> Is it or? Yes. High, low, or no. Yeah. I'll, I hear, or no. I'll be honest, I, I thought it was high, low, no. I thought it was high, low, no. No, it wasn't. We don't even know the name of our own podcast. <laughs> Clearly, Xavier doesn't Either know way, the podcast of the artwork he's going to make up for us. Wait, I, I've got, like, what do I call the folder on my hard drive? That would tell us. I put high, low, no one there as well. Yeah, I put the WeTransfer, yeah. like the WeTransfer domain name is called like WeTransfer.com forward slash high, low, no, but it's because I couldn't bear to put or there. <laughs> I just didn't want it there. But in like a title structure, I want it to be there. You know, like, you know, it can't be like interview with vampire. It has to be interview with a vampire. <laughs> <Interview> with vampire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel like there's slightly different things here. All right, okay. Um, but let's stick with the theme of vampire. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, talking to vampires, George, what are we talking about today? Well, oh, thank you, Joe Gascoigne, for introducing me. My name is George, and the person I bemoaned for not saying the or is... Martin. He's our producer. He's, our, he's, he's producer Martin. Today, we are talking about the 2002 black vampire superhero action horror movie, Blade 2. Now... First, cards on the table. I have never seen any of the Blade movies before we started watching them for this podcast. You surprised me, George. I have now watched Blade 1 and Blade 2. It's been about a week since I saw Blade 2 because um, I thought we might have a chance to record it last week and then that was so spontaneous for Hulk that, uh, whatever. I've just been sitting on it for a week and um, yeah, I really wanted to discuss it because it's kind of um, an interesting phenomenon in like the superhero movie um, world is that after Batman and Robin comes out and tanks for DC superhero canon as a film adaptation, because this is also after um, Superman 4, The Quest for Peace does like no one any favors. And then the fourth Batman movie does no one any favors in 1996. Like two years later, they come out with Blade. And it seems that over time, people have, I think perhaps a little erroneously, credited the revival of a superhero genre to Blade. And I want to talk about Blade 2 because it's made by an actual artist, because it's made by Guillermo del Toro. And because I figured it would be kind of be boring to talk about Blade, the mm-hmm. origin movie. We're just doing another origin movie. And I kind of wanted to get in on the ground floor of like, let's let's see if we can like look at, you know, an odd existence in a superhero movie. What if we made like an R-rated action movie that isn't winking or like deathly serious? And uh, yeah, that's why I put it on the schedule. Um, Joe, Martin, you haven't seen this one? No, I will sit out of this one predominantly. Mm-hmm. I have not seen Blade. I have not seen Blade 2. Mm. This is the first time I've not seen any of the films, and I was meant to watch them. Nah, but it just didn't happen, so I will, I will sit in the corner for this one. All right. Joe? I hadn't seen Blade. Uh, I haven't seen Blade 1, but uh, I have now seen Blade 2. Right. Yes, you picked him up at, um, at Computer Exchange in like a week where a week and we just went on an adventure and picked up like four different movies. A binge, all for a pound, <laughs> all for all for this podcast, all for this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, how did you feel about it? I thought it was a fucking hoot and a half. It's a hoot and a half. I half, loved isn't it? it. It's great. Every minute from <laughs> from about twenty seconds in. Yeah. Well, it I says Prague my Blood hands, Bank in Czech Republic. Thinking of having you know trawled my way through Spider Man and Hulk. No offense. You like Spider Man. Mm. Um, oh, it's a good thing we're gonna have to re-record Spider Man now. <laughs> oh God, I hope not. Oh no. Um, no, I thought it was amazing. It's, I was so happy I from like the first minute on. So glad to hear that. Like so, so uh, I watching Blade the first Blade I want to get a little bit of context out of the way just so like let's let's talk about the context that's going into Blade 2 what 
Blade is. Blade is a half-human, half-vampire. He is a Marvel Comics character created sometime in the 60s who, in the comic books, was born in like the tw- 1920s in London, of all places. And his comic book uh, origin is actually very accurately represented in the first film. He is His mother's pregnant, and a vampire bites her as she's about to give birth. She gives birth, and uh, Blade is born. He is half-human, half-vampire, commonly called as a daywalker. Now, in the comics, like it seems like his origin is a lot more like I don't know, complicated than that. Even he's not actually a daywalker until some other. Whenever they said that, vampire. always made me think of like a prostitute. <laughs> <laughs> or he's a streetwalker. <laughs> he walks the street at day. <laughs> in the day, oh, we better run. Um, he, Sorry. yeah, his his um, and then the first film is all about him like trying to take down Deacon Frost. Um, who is, uh, surprise, is the vampire who turned Blade's mother. <gasps> and it turns out Blade's mother didn't die. She's still alive and is now a vampire. So Blade has to kill his mother and his uh, vampire daddy. And uh, his vampire daddy like becomes like a blood god. Like, the first film is very much, uh, it's, it's not an origin story. It's a, like an invitation into a world of modern day vampires because in the film, Blade already exists and has been operating for a long, long time. And it's one of the weaknesses of it is he's not the, like, audience proxy there is a human character who is brought into his world and she is fine like right, tina okay. played by like and she right and and he's he's a vampire hunter, and he's a vampire hunter who is mm. half vampire and her role in the movie is to sort of like he's got this serum he has to inject into himself to keep his like bloodlust uh, for human blood like under right. control and one of the things they reveal is like vampirism is a blood disease because the blood cells are mm. like conjoined so they can't form a hemoglobin and so that's why they need human blood because they need to form a hemoglobin <laughs> which is complete like nonsense but I love all Seems pulpy legit. comic book nonsense Aye. like that especially for vampires where they're also like vampires crosses nah it doesn't affect them I wonder if they're religious but silver does and so, daylight does and daylight daylight oh, is a yeah, thing day walker yeah exactly so blade being you know, being half vampire, half human has all the strengths of a vampire, none of their weakness except for the bloodlust. And so Blade 2 basically can just like start, like, you know, can start off at a sprint. It does, it's like, here's the world, vampires, you get it, go mm-hmm. ahead. And it's just like the, the aesthetic of this movie, of these movies is vampires in like clubs and raves and like very matrix adjacent this is the year before the first one is the year before the matrix and it's a lot of people in black leather in weird like fetish gear in nightclubs like you you think i might i might be going too far into my favorite territory here when i say fetish club night night gear fetish fetish nightclub gear stop Literally, the first action scene in the first Blade is a vampire brings a human unwittingly to a vampire nightclub, and in the vampire nightclub, inside of like this old meat factory, um, they have all the sprinklers rigged up to spray blood. Jesus. So it's just, and then Blade shows up after all these vampires have been sprayed with blood, mm. and he just murders the vampires, <laughs> and it's awesome. But that movie's a little torn between being mm-hmm. like a goofy comic book, crazy mm-hmm. ancient vampire god stuff. And like a 90s action movie. Right. And it kind of can't strike the right balance. But because the sequel doesn't have to go through a lot of the world building, it can just dive right in. Here's Blade. He loves killing vampires. And here we go. Here's the movie. Enjoy. So, Joe, what's the plot of Blade 2? Oh, Christ alive. Okay, so like you say, you dive straight into it. And when you uh, told me to watch the film, you said, you know, you don't need to see Blade number one, which I haven't. And you're completely right because you, and I think one of the things I love about it is you just dive straight in. Yeah. And the world building in the film, I think is quite bizarre because there sort of is none, I don't think. 
And yet mm. the the world is just pre-constructed, if you know what I mean. The, you know, it just the, goes straight yeah. in. There's no explanation. But the, you don't need any explanation. It works so, so well. So, so um, Blade's sort of mentor, his mentor guy. Whistler. Is that a wi- Whistler? Played by he, Chris Christopherson. Amazing. That's yeah, quite good. <laughs> He's been he's been kidnapped, hasn't he? He's been yeah. he's been taken. Does this and happen in Blade turned, One? Yes, in Blade right. One, like he's he's turned into a vampire, and I think he has to shoot himself to stop himself turning fully. While he's still a human, he like shoots himself, right and then they just do a quick bit of record. He's like, yeah, he shot himself in the head, but he got better. Oh, <laughs> and he's been kidnapped. Like I, was I did wonder what that little weird. I started book. watching Blade Two, going like, wait, Whistler's still alive? Okay, fine. No, I like Whistler. I keep him around. I got no complaints. <laughs> I mean, it, it all happened so quickly. I yeah. didn't even have time to it, think it, about it. It's literally like after the very first cold open, the credit sequence is just like recap previously on Blade. Here's how he became a daywalker. Here's what happened with Whistler. And now here's where he is. He's hunting for Whistler in like the Czech Republic. <laughs> so he finds him, takes him back to his little lair. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's fine, blah, blah, blah. He's got a new little sidekick who's helping him. He's a bit, he's a bit of a dope. Called Scud. He's a good. He's good at tech, but he's, he's you know he's a bit he's a bit too much of a young upstart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, something then happens. Well, at the same time as this, before he gets to visit, you're at opening scene. There's a homeless man, and on the and he's walking into a blood bank, and on like, the subtitle say like Prague blood blood bank, Czech Republic, oh. and I'm like. Oh yeah, it's a blood bank in a vampire movie. I love this. And he's and you go into the blood bank and uh, and you see this guy who's got like no hair and a hoodie on and like weird eyes. He's he looks like completely hairless and he's got this weird scar where you'd have a goatee. And he's brought out by and this this I think his name's like Jacob or Jared Novak or something. And um, they bring him in, and these vampires are like. You have this very strange phenotype in your blood we've never seen before. What does that mean? Oh, it's bad for you, but good for us. And you're like, oh no, they're gonna kill the homeless man and take all his blood. And then the homeless man starts to laugh and laugh and laugh. And suddenly he's like drinking the blood of the vampires. And and you're like, what's going on? Is he a vampire? And then he says like in fucking Czechoslovakian, he says to the camera that's watching, he's like, vampires. I hate vampires. And he opens his mouth and it's like these weird worms inside of it. And then you cut to opening credits and you're like, whoa, what's this? What's this crazy vampire shit going on here? Yeah, so it's all dreadfully exciting. So if we press fast forward threat a bit. Threat to the vampires. The idea, yeah. So there's a threat to the vampires and this threat is they're called reapers, yes? Which is a sort of- Weavers or something? Reapers Reaver. or reaper. Yeah. Re- it's one of us looking at the inter- internet. Um, <laughs> Read the plot. My laptop fell on the floor, so I'm not doing it. Either way, the the, the a kind of evolved or sort of a super mm. vampire. We're not sure where they come from. We think yeah. it's just a virus. It's mm. like the virus has mutated. Exactly. Um, and these guys, these these, they are afraid of the sun. But, mm. but why are they better? Well, they they're not. Um, they're immune to silver. Oh, immune to basically silver. immune to garlic. Holy water is like a shower to them. Mm. They the only like remaining vampire. Um, weakness is sunlight. They've even got a heart that's encased in bone. Oh, yeah. So, so you it's can't difficult stab, to stab them, them in the cetera, heart, which rules. They do an autopsy yes. on the so reaver. It's, oh. it's been a, you know, there's been a leveling up, yeah. if you like, of the vampire, and these are going to take over the system. Mm. Um, you they're know, they're going to gonna turn all, all the humans to these reavers, and they're going to turn all the vampires. Yeah. Well, they're so going to they're gonna turn all the vampires into reavers, and then the, yes. uh, all the reavers are going to go and, like, because they're like, they, they literally say they're like crack addicts. They're like crackheads. They need blood every three hours. <laughs> yeah, so, so it's an extreme version of the vampire yeah. in every sense. So basically, 
the, 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 the king of the vampires, is he? Lord Damaskinos. Oh, just a, just a lord then. Oh, yeah. um, he teams He's like up the vampire with... of the world ruler. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Good for him. Well, he teams up with Blade, basically, mm. to take on uh, these guys. And Blade, you know, the best um, vampire killer, teams mm. up with the vampires who are set out to kill Blade. Uh, um, you know, so the best sort of human hunters. And so with these combined powers and a little bit of tech... Um, they go off to kill mm. the, the the main reaver slash yeah. reaper. It's like like and eradicate the virus. Like it's a it is literally yes. like yeah. Let's stop a vampire pandemic. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, a pandemic. Oh, um, oh shit! <laughs> and um, some interesting stuff happens. <laughs> Martin said, uh, and you know, then action just happens for like an hour. Yeah, it, and then there's a, then there's some twists and yeah. some bits and bobs, and uh, and we find out where the virus came from near the end, mm. and it's it's all fabulous. Um, and, and then it ends. And then it ends. It's like a real pulpy, like, like you say, like, there's a lot of action happens. Like, literally before he even gets recruited, there's a meaningless action sequence that happens where mm-hmm. he's visited by, like, two vampire ninjas. Yeah, they, yeah, they yeah, are dressed N- as ninjas, Nissa. aren't they? Yeah, it's Which like, no one else is for the rest like, of the film. Assad and Nissa. Um, I, I need to see who the actors are for these because they're both really good. But, like, literally, they go into mm. Whistler's, into, like, um, Whistler and Blade's hideout. And Blade's like, ha, I'm going to fight you. And it's just an awesome fight scene where you get to watch Wesley Snipes, who's like a martial art champion who has mm. trained in it since he was 12 years old, mm. just like kick loads of vampire ass. And then in the middle of the fight, one of them just goes like, why are we fighting? We were here to, we came to send you a message. Oh, Blade, yeah. we <laughs> spent like three minutes fighting, just doing awesome choreography. And they just sort of stop and go, we need to take you to Lord Damaskinos. We're not going to kill you, Blade, obviously. Uh, okay. <laughs> they take him into like like proper traditional vampire territory of like Transylvanian yes, castles yes, yes, yes. and underground things. And there's like a, <laughs> there's a familiar who says like, that Blade goes, you're not a vampire. And he goes, worse, I'm a lawyer. <laughs> oh, yes, that's very good, yeah. And then that's where they team up. Yeah. That's where they I team mean, up, like, we can't give the whole yeah. synopsis, but Damas- so that's the plot, yeah. loosely. Like, yeah. Damaskinos sent his daughter Nyssa to get yes, Blade. Yes, yes, so yes. Blade starts like... <laughs> Romance, kind of forming like a, a a sort of romantic platonic attachment to Nyssa, who, where she's like, I know I'm a vampire. I have no problem being a vampire. I'm not cruel or like mean to humans. You know, I just drink blood occasionally. You, as a daywalker, you're constantly at war with your bloodthirst. You need to like relax, Blade. And she and and he's like overcoming his his like bone deep hatred of vampires because this woman's very attractive. <laughs> Yes. Which leads to, I think, a really lovely ending, where I it's mean, a lovely ending, and maybe don't don't give a spoiler, George, just in case. Nah, we'll, we'll we'll spoil it. The movie's like twenty years old. It's like nineteen years well, old. I hadn't seen it, and I thought it was beautiful. I okay, but like, well, it's she dies. She dies. Yeah. Well, um, for for I suppose like to go into it because there's just like this is a hard movie to discuss because it is like you say it's a lot of a lot of like action sequences and plot business is all like just stacking up. Constant, like, it's not like impenetrable world building. Like, you get the idea. They're vampires, they have secret societies, and there's like blood and stuff. It's cool. But the like best version of this is like the first scene with the blood pack led by Ron Perlman. Mm-hmm. Fucking awesome Ron Perlman, mm-hmm. who frequent collaborator of Guillermo del Toro. They would, um, like, they go into a nightclub for vampires where instead of getting, like, tattoos, what do vampires do to, like, accentuate themselves? They, like, get their flesh peeled open. It's so gross. It's so, there's, like, rather than, like, a tattoo artist doing someone's, like, back work, they've just got, like, this woman bent over a chair and a guy behind her peeling the skin off around her spine and she's just kind of chilling out, like, yeah, I love having my skin flaps open. 
It's I like it's so gross, and it's like they're not. It's not bloody because they're not. They don't have blood pumping through their veins. They're the living dead. <laughs> but it's like it's so cool as like an interesting. How do we make vampires modern and kind of cool? Well, let's just make the fucking freaks who like love this shit. And like they have one of the guys, um, one of the vampires in the blood pack, he walks into the cycle and goes like, ugh, these aren't even pure bloods. We should just kill them all, including the Reavers. Cause there's this weird vampire divide where pure bloods are people who are born as vampires. And then there are people who are turned into vampires and Blade is kind of neither of those. And he's not a human cause he wasn't fully turned into a vampire. He was, he was kind of not born a human, but also like, it's like there's this, there is this sort of in the first film, a sort of race dynamic to it. And that's a very much like kind of influenced by black exploitation. This movie, not that. It's just kind of playing in that. Uh, yeah, role. okay. I mean, s- slow down a touch. <laughs> you're getting way ahead of yourself. Um, so we mentioned plot, but I'm yeah. going into that. But now you're into world building. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's one of the things the film does really well. Yeah. Um, like you said about that line, you know, the, uh, these aren't even pure bloods. We should kill them all. Yeah. Just one simple line delivered quite well, which didn't feel clunky. You know, it doesn't mm. feel like exposition, mm. but it does such a good job of it. You mm. know, and from that one line, you're like, oh yeah, there's loads of like class and cast uh, dynamics going on. You know, and how does a uh, blade fit into all this? And how is you know that going to be involved when these reavers come along and shake it all up? Mm. It's so well done. And I then they just throw a couple of reavers in there. These bold fucks. The only problem I have with reavers is they kind of all look the same, which is one of the things I like about them as a plague is that it just kind of turns all these vampires who are distinctive into the same. They're all yes. bold freaks with like jaws that unhinge. So this could oh. be. Um, the first critique, perhaps, mm. potentially, um, you know, that the Reavers do all look the same and all the vampires look very, very different. Mm. Apart from, like, the big lord, mm. maybe it's implied that once you live for hundreds and hundreds of years, you know, you, your skin starts to go sallow and you lose all your hair and everything. Yeah. So maybe that's why the Reavers look like that already, because they are... Accelerated Accelerated, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it is a bit, you know, the Reavers are quite animalistic, aren't they? Mm. They sort of crawl around on all fours a lot of yeah. the time. They look monstrous. Um, They've got like a maggot tongue, which is how they oh, implant I mean, well, the that, virus. The thing before, yeah, I it's, mean, we'll, we'll come it, to that. It's maybe like a gigantic a worm, or not? Oh, <laughs> that just their, their their jaw swings open at like the scar into these two mandibles, and then it's like writhing tentacles and one big well, monstrous it's, um, worm. It's very predator, uh, isn't it? It's kind of like, like that, yeah. Yeah, the, the, the lower jaw sort of opens up nice and wide. It's so freaky. And then where there should be a sort of tongue, yeah. there's this uh, little arm thing, essentially, <laughs> with a mouth of its own, which then does nasty business. It's so fucking freaky. I love that look. Like, I think before I knew anything about, like, Blade 2 or, like, you know, before I'd watched it or Blade 1, I, like, I knew, like, the, the image of... What if a guy, his jaw just swings open into two pieces because it's just such a good, terrifying image. What stands out for me in that is that you know, a lot of this film, I think, does feel quite old-fashioned mm. in a way. Um, and yet that, when that happens, you're like, oh my God, it's so good. Mm. You know, the, the graphics are so, so good. And yeah. it's quite surprising. Um, yeah, because it looks like a really good combination of like, you know, CGI for like a lot of emotion, but like a practical effect and practical like models, especially when they're doing like the autopsy or the vampires like close up. It's like, that's a practical giant worm tongue. <laughs> it's mm. like, that's there. I mean, that's awesome. That's great. And, you know, you, you, uh, Del Toro is a really smart guy about how he would, I think, mix practical and visual effects in um, in all of his movies. And this is one where like the visual effects are 
they are inherently kind of silly and goofy because it's about like you know you shoot a vampire with a silver bullet and they t- immediately start turning to ash and they just sort of you know disintegrate and set on fire and they go to their skeleton so it's going to look a little silly you know making it look realistic isn't really worth your time because mm. all you need to make it make it look like is look like they're convincingly transforming into something kind of cartoonish and as long as you can make that look cool, it's great. Like there's a bit where like Blade like stabs someone with silver blade and then just um he kicks them and they go flying backwards and as they hit the ground their skeleton disintegrates. So it's great. Like that's that's what you that's what I want out of movies. I want I want that sort of pulpy nonsense to be, you know, played into. Neither of us actually said if we think this is high art or low art. I think it's pretty obvious. I think it's like a high class of low art. This is like it's low art, to be clear, because it's pulp. It is horror comic book pulp stuff. But it's so good. Precisely. Yeah. Completely agree. Yeah. yeah. Bang on. This is what I want from things to be like this lower. Mm. Like it's, you know, this is not necessarily transgressive or like getting in your face or anything in a way that's kind of mean. But it's everything about it is just so awesome without being pretentious or being sort of um, delicate, as we might consider mm. a higher thing. It's all very just like, you wanted to see a guy call vampires? Well, here you go. I think it's a really good um, example, you know, so like when you try and explain what you mean by high art and low mm. art, this is the perfect example of what good low art is. Mm. Because like you say, it's not, it's it's confident in what it is. It doesn't pretend or try to do anything else or to be anything else. Mm. Um, and it excels at it because it's yeah. so, so good and pure and confident. Yeah. And I love it. There's a bit at the end where like Blade recovers from like being incapacitated by falling into a giant vat of blood and he like rises from the blood, kicks a bunch of vampires' ass, and then the, the sh- you just see him sort of like pop into frame and there's a big <laughs> noise as he like pops up to face Ron Perlman and you're just like, yeah, that's like kind of campy and silly, but mm. the movie never like winks at that or like downgrades it. It's not like Deadpool where it's kind of like trying to keep it at a distance while it also does everything it's mm. killed. It's, it's like criticizing of. Um, but the the Blade, Blade movie, especially Blade 2, is, is very like in love with the monster world and in love with how cool it is to be a badass vampire hunter. (laughs) Absolutely, you're right. And and there is an element of camp to Mm. this film, which, um, again, I really, really love. Um, But you're right, it doesn't sort of wink um, and it doesn't do any... It's it's not like self self aware in that way. Yeah. You know, it, it it knows it's like it's hard to explain really, isn't it? But it knows what it is. But there mm. are things like the um the weird sound effects mm. when he stands up um and he jumps up, um and then you know like when he blows a kiss to his car. I uh, know at the beginning that kind of thing. Um and I mean half the things that Wesley Snipe does basically on screen. Wesley Snipes who just knows how to pose in a comic book movie. Everything, like, not only does he know how to notify choreography, he knows how to stand still and how yes. to, like, st- like approach things. Like, you said all the things that are campy. Like, there's that bit in the scene where he, like, rides a motorbike, brakes, and kisses at his car. Aye. He, like, dives off a building, drops, flips down, all doing in one, like, CGI long take. So it looks a little goofy, but whatever. And he, like, drops the floor, and he, like, reaches out in, like, a wide yoga pose, like a warrior pose with his submachine gun extended and his other arm like extended behind him we're just like in a stop sign position and you're like mm. why is he doing that that's not how you fire a gun <laughs> but it looks so cool and it's just like it's graceful it is and unnecessarily um, like accentuated accentuated and almost stylized mm. almost uh matrix-esque it I is like that, yeah um there's a naturalness in the matrix with like that goofiness whereas blade is like i am just i just love killing vampires man i'm mm. gonna do this cool 
And you do wonder, you know, it's, it's that kind of performance and that character and that role and that film, you wonder how much of this is Wesley Snipe? Because if a different actor was doing mm. almost the exact same things, would it be as good? Well, uh, funny you say that, because Wesley Snipes is a producer on all three Blade films. Mm. And it's like pretty much his first movie he was both starring in and producing. And it's basically his first movie where he is the unabashed lead of a movie. I suppose Passenger 57... I don't know. Like, like there are a lot of movies where he would lead, where he would be the antagonist or the co-protagonist with like Woody Harrelson because they did a couple of movies together. And 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 Blade is the one where he's producing and he's the lead, and it costs like thirty-five million dollars, which is not a lot. And there was a quote I read in the Entertainment Weekly oral history of the first movie where they said that the head of New Line, which is a studio, said to them, um, "I'll give you forty million dollars if you can get Denzel Washington. I'll give you thirty-five million dollars if you can get Wesley Snipes, and I'll give you twenty if you can get Lawrence Fishburne." <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> so they went, "Well, we want Wesley Snipes because Wesley Snipes yeah. looks like Blade. Like he's got kind of like that's very like strong hair, strong jaw." And um, I love Denzel Washington more than I love Wesley Snipes, but I don't think he would be remotely the same sort of. Um, I don't think he has quite the same facility for like that physical posiness that you need for a comic book like this. It's the thing that unites the Blade movies, especially one and two, with like the Sam Raimi Spider-Man in that they're, they're very attuned to how does how does a comic book character, how are they supposed to look, how are they supposed to move, how are they supposed to like pose and behave in these action sequences? And that's one of the things Wesley Sam brings to it with his martial arts background. And it's it's one mm. of the things that makes Blade so good. Like that's that fucking line. I I rewound the scene to watch again. But when they're in the sewers fighting all the Reavers, and Blade has to go off on his own to detonate, to detonate like a gigantic cache of ultraviolet hand grenades, which is just a cool creation for fighting vampires, he just turns to the Reavers who like can't form sentences, and he just yells, "You obviously do not know who you are fucking with," and and I just like. I watched that. I went like, I'm, I'm watching that again. That was just so cool because no one in superhero movies says stuff like that with, with so little consciousness, like or so, so little like you know uh, un um, self consciousness. Like he's not ashamed to say that. He's just like, I am Blade. You need to back the fuck off. Yes. My real name is Eric, but it's Blade. <laughs> That's one of the things that's so stupid about the character. His name is Eric, which is not a name I think of as being like, you know, it's not a weak name or anything, but his re his superhero name is Blade. Mm. Or Eric. <laughs> it's just like you have his mother in the first movie calling him Eric. And I'm like, no, 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 no. It's Blade. It's Blade, motherfucker, not Eric. <laughs> Who came up with Blade? Uh, apparently in the origins of the comic book, he starts calling himself Blade because he uses blades to kill vampires. <laughs> That's <why>. Inspired. <laughs> I know. <laughs> There's a funny thing about like, looking into the origin of Blade, Like he gets half of his vampire powers from the bite of a, another sort of vampire, but not, not the vampire who gave, who like, you know, bit his mother mm. it's a vampire he's fighting with spider-man called morbius and morbius like morbius's specific type of vampirism gives him all the other vampire but he's like why did you make it this complicated when you read it back it doesn't make any sense yeah but they basically that... just use that as like blaze existed for a couple of years but we need to level him up and make him better so let's get another vampire in here and bite him in the comics he faces off against dracula like regularly and mephisto okay. and other so D Damoskinos and Blade 2 is completely invented for the movie, which is one of the things right. I, I love about it. It's like, 
yeah, we're just inventing shit here. Like uh-huh. Damaskinos, Nissa, the Blood Pack, the Reavers, it's all invention. None of it's like, you know, we're all just like creating an idea, which gives Guillermo del Toro so much fun to play in the vampire world. At, with like, you know, I can't imagine a Marvel comic beat coming out where it's just like, we go into a vampire nightclub and they're peeling off flesh flaps. You know, and revealing the bone. I I just can't imagine them doing that in a comic. And and as much as I love Mahershala Ali, they're never going to do that in the MCU movie. <laughs> Martin, like you know, what I'm t- I'll never do that. Not a chance. Yeah, like gore's just not a thing in the MCU at all. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just like I can't. It just, what what do you say about Blade? What do you think of um, Guillermo del Toro, Joe? Um, <clears throat> not a lot. No. But not in the bad way. No. In I don't really know much about him. We okay. um, didn't he help write the Hobbit? Well, okay, funny. Um, so Guillermo Toro, Mexican director, one of the like, famed, Labyrinth, I know that. Yeah, one of the famed like three amigos, sort of of like um, uh, Mexican male filmmakers who came up in the same generation. Him, Alfonso Cuarón, and, and uh, Alejandro Iñárritu. Um, Del Toro starts working in the nineties. He makes the film Cronos, which is also a vampire movie, and it is in Mexico. Um, has an old man with a granddaughter and he like finds this like metal object that turns him into a vampire. It's not great, but it's very stylish. And then he goes to the States and makes Mimic, which is another like horror movie, monster movie, which I think is fucked with a lot by Harvey Weinstein and, the, and Miramax. Um, and he doesn't have a good experience in that. And then he goes and makes um, The Devil's Backbone in Spain, which was a script he was writing before Kronos. And he, and that movie is um, a ghost story about um, set during the Spanish Civil War in um, like the south of Spain about a boy who is essentially orphaned, goes to live at an orphanage with a bunch of other like 10-year-old boys. And in that orphanage, there is like a a shell, a bombshell that fell in the courtyard and it didn't and never went off. And there are ghosts in it. And it's a really great ghost story. And that kind of puts him, I think back on the right foot so then he makes blade 2 which rules and does a good success from he goes away again and makes pan's labyrinth which wins the the oscar for best foreign feature like best foreign language feature it's a huge critical darling people love it now i may be getting this time wrong because i can't remember if he makes pan's labyrinth before or after hellboy i think he makes it after hellboy he makes hellboy after blade 2 goes and makes pan's labyrinth and then he, yeah, Martin's showing me, he makes Blade 2, then Hellboy, and then Pan's Labyrinth. And then he comes back after like the, the like Oscar win of Pan's Labyrinth. He goes and makes Hellboy 2, the Golden Army, which rules. And then he's supposed to make the Hobbit movies. Like after he makes Hellboy 2, which isn't a big success, kind of like disappoints compared to the first one and it costs a lot more money. He gets attached to all these different projects, including The Hobbit. And he is supposed to make The Hobbit's parts one and two, an unexpected journey and there and back again. And it's not really going well. He drops out like when they're like two, three months away from beginning production and New Line just goes, Peter, we need you to step in. And Peter Jackson like is building the plane in midair and Guillermo Toro just, I don't think he just could not continue under the conditions of the film that they wanted him to make. I would have loved to see his versions of the Hobbit movies. Um, and then he makes Pacific Rim, which I really like. Mm-hmm. He makes Crimson Peak, which rules. And then he makes Shape of Water, for which he wins an Oscar. Oh. Every single one of his movies is obsessed with fucking monsters. <laughs> and sometimes it's obsessed with monster fucking, like in uh, okay. Shape of Water. 
Hellboy 2 has got like monster, like these weird like cross species romances. Blade 2 has a sort of like cross species romantic tension. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it's not his film, but the sequel to Pacific Rim has Charlie Day from What's Always Sunny in Philadelphia dating a giant kaiju brain, which, um, to be honest, I think Del Toro was right to not include in his film. <laughs> it's one of the crazier things in a terrible movie. Um, he loves monsters. He loves them. And he's like this big, like garrulous Mexican guy with glasses and crazy accents who um, just makes very sincere movies. Um, and for him to make Blade 2, I think is exactly the sort of mode I love seeing him operate in because it's an like a 15, 18, it's 18 on the UK certificate, I think, because it's just so violent. And it's just allowed to be as pulpy, but as silly and as like no holds barred as, as he can get. And it's what I want to see him do. Like this is probably like my second or third favorite Del Toro movie. And it's because he never has to he never has to pretend to be pretentious in it. There's nothing like artsy about it. Because all his movies where he is a bit artsy, he feels a little he can feel a little shackled to higher pretentious that I don't think serve him, like Pan's Labyrinth, I'm not a fan of. Really? But um and then but you know, then he won an Oscar for The Shape of Water, in which a, wo- a woman a mute woman fucks a fish man. So, you know, I guess uh, I guess I guess, you know, follow your bliss. <laughs> I I find him an interesting subject because he to me is like Pure pulp, low art director. Weirdly, we have elevated him to high art, but every single thing he like makes is all about monsters and horror and like superheroes and all this trashy, pulpy stuff that he put so much care into the look and feel of those worlds that they can feel more elevated, like high art. But yeah, Joe, you're looking at your laptop. <laughs> oh, just, just browsing. Um, so are you are you browsing monster fucking? <laughs> No, <laughs> I was browsing Blade um, yeah. too. So that's Mr. Del Toro. Yeah, um, and he makes good films. Yeah, like Blade Two. Simple good films. So the thing, films. Yeah. nice films. Monster yeah. fucking films. Exactly. Okay, who else is important? Who wrote the film? Uh, David S. Goya. Who? Oh, uh, yeah. This is like the thing that gets him in bed. Uh, like, <laughs> um, I actually didn't mean to say that. Um, it obsessed. gets him um, linked up with Christopher Nolan for the Batman movies. Oh. Um, yeah, he wrote he wrote all three Blade movies, and he directed Blade Trinity. What do you think of the screenplay? Um, well, Del Toro apparently thought it was stupid. <laughs> like he would laugh a lot about the exposition bits, like when Blade fits an explosive device on the back of Ron Perlman's head, and he goes, "Now you've got an explosive device embedded in your skull." That is true, but the exposition that is sort of also what you would say because you know yeah. that the guy who has it yeah. in his skull, you know, he needs to know what's he happening. To know what's to in him. The so he's kind I'm of fair. Sh- but I'm sure there are probably like more instances of lines like that where I, you're like, you know what, I didn't need this. You could just show him Holman and it's like, see this, see that. You're gonna. But I love the guy whose skull that gets him bled to. Let's let's talk about Ron Perlman. Oh, okay. Joe you know um, <laughs> just shrugged with a look of deep <laughs> resignation. No, <that's> just, <laughs> Keeping up with you, um, you, well, the actor. Yeah. He. Oh, did you have more to say about the script? Well, it's just I think um, a lot of critics didn't like the script. Did they really? Mm. I think critics have been mixed on the film, mm. and the ones that don't like it have criticised mm. the plot and the script. Yeah. See, I don't think the script is like 
you know, I don't think the dialogue's necessarily great. I think the structure's pretty good as a script because it's just like, let's just like create like create escalating action sequences where there's a clear reason for why they're going to do each action sequence and mm-hmm. then we pull the rug out on the mm-hmm. end and then that, that can like dig into other stuff. Like as a structure, I think it's actually really good because it's, it's, you know, the only action sequence I would say is completely superfluous is the ninja's fighting blade at the beginning because, and that's just a cool action sequence. But then it's like, okay, they go, they, you know, Blade is fighting ninjas. They tell him they're coming to recruit him. So they recruit him. He goes and meets the blood pack. They have some tension, a tete-a-tete, and then they go to the vampire nightclub where they intend to encounter the Reavers because they expect there that the hunter will follow the prey. Makes sense. Bloodbath at the nightclub, they realize the Reavers are too powerful. What we should do is go yeah, to yeah, the yeah. Reavers' lair and hunt them down. There's a lot of like interscene stuff. They go to hunt down the Reavers in their lair. They kill like Almost all of them, except for one. One gets away, but then the vampire king intervenes and takes them away because this whole thing was a plot to capture Blade because they're trying to like harness Blade's daywalker abilities and make like super vampires. Lord Damaskinos wants like vampire rule, vampires ruling the world, ruling over humans like cattle, and wants uh, needs Blade's blood to do it. And so they capture Blade. All is lost for Blade. He he and Whistler are all there. And Scud was betraying them. Scud isn't isn't really like is, is totally gets blown up. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. But like Scud, not he was only there just working as a familiar for the vampire kings. The blood pack, they're happy that they've conquered Blade. Nyssa feels guilty because she was used as bait by her father, like um, to be infected by the Reavers. But then the king shit reaver, like the head um, patient zero for the reaver virus, like invades the vampire base because he's like the Lord's secret son was a Frankenstein, uh, a vampire that like they've like experimented on and infected with this virus. And he's like Frankenstein coming home to the monster. And the monster is also a vampire. So you just got this wonderful escalation, which feels very Del Toro-esque of it's both vampires and also Frankenstein's monster, which is the classic tale of the monster you can sympathize with, which is like what he bloody loves. And when I watched that, I went like, all oh, right, here's, and then, and then they just like have a big final battle as, as Blade is trying to like, you know, defeat the vampires who kidnapped him. And then the Reaver's also trying to kill the vampires. He kills, kills the Lord, infects his daughter. Blade kills the Reaver. And then they watch the sunrise with um, this vampire daughter. And she dies in Blade's arms as she watches the sunrise, which is a really beautiful moment. And then the movie's over. Like structurally, it's simple. It's, you know, a little goofy, but for the tone of the movie in the world, like, I think it's fine. You're allowed to do that. Okay. <laughs> if I can just throw a massive anchor in and drag you back to a right. script. <laughs> um, I think a lot of people said, you know, it, it was really light on, you know, there wasn't great dialogue. Some of it was a bit clunky. Um, mm. There wasn't much of it at all, um, mm. really, in the script. But it makes you wonder, well, what do people want from this script? You know, what, yeah. what were they expecting from this film? And I wondered, you know, because, you know, it's coming out of a context of, you know, in the years before, there were things like, you know, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, the film, Bram Stoker's Dracula, the film, um, Interview with a Vampire, even, yeah. you know, these things with similar themes of, like you were saying, vampires, but also uh, Frankenstein's monster and uh, humans and how these are all fighting into a late blah, blah, blah. You know, which were these massive sort of discursive films, you know, with these very grand ideas. And it's almost like a lot of critics were going into this superhero film, <laughs> expecting <laughs> it to be expounding on, you know, what it means to be a vampire, what it yeah. means to be a human. And then we're just quite disappointed when it's mm. a superhero film. You know, like, well, what do you yeah. expect? 
Roger Ebert really liked it. Like Roger Ebert gave it like, like three and a half out of four stars. He was he was like he was a big fan. For, like, this is just like a great old bloodbath time. Hmm. Good old movie. Love that. Well, I think it was a cool cut, and I think the script you know does a really good job in conveying the world and the characters and yeah. the motivations, like you say. Mm. Um, there's no, I don't think there is a superfluous action scene or no. action event. You know, even when one guy gets his head sliced in half, it all makes sense. You know, mm. nothing's just shoved in there for the yeah. gore or, you know, just for the yeah. shock factor, which I think is a, another really, really good thing about the script, but also the direction, those decisions. Mm. Really, really good. Yeah, I mean, the character of the least interesting motivation in every single action scene is Blade. Why is he killing vampires? Because he loves killing vampires. But yeah. it's fun, because Wesley Snipes can play that really well. Every mm. other vampire's like, this is important to the survival of our species, and we, we look down on them as a mm. superiority. Reavers are crack addicts. We'll do that, kill them. And they also have this secretive mo- uh, like motive of wanting to mess with Blade. But yeah. Blade is like, I'm going to mess with vampires back and I love killing vampires. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's great. And I love, I really do love like the weird melodrama that boils up to the surface in the in the finale of like Blade having to, you know, admit that he had feelings for vampire and killing the whole like vampire subculture and the, the, the Frankenstein Reaver coming back to, you know, destroy his, his father and infect his sister. There's something so melodramatic and juicy in that because you can tell like, um, Del Toro has a, so much sympathy for the the Reaver character. I think his name. I do think his name is Jared. I want to. I want to say it's Jared, but he's played by an actor called Luke Goss, who's also in Hellboy Two right. as the primary villain. And in and the primary villain of Hellboy Two is like an elf who is um, like humans are poisoning the world. We should kill all the humans because mm. they're poisoning my beautiful world. Uh, so he's like an environmentalist. Aye, but his 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 like main like weird motivation he's got this weirdly incestuous relationship with his sister in that and i watched i was watching thinking again about it i was like wait do, is, is Gert del toro does he have any siblings because he's got this like this is the second time i've noticed he's got like luke goss playing a villain who has like a key element of his of his character is that he's got like a sibling who he is like attached to mm-hmm. in both, both like violent and sort of like i don't know like kind of violent and very physical metaphysical attachments to each other I don't know. Like, there's so much juice in those, like, broad in the broadness of this of the tropes and the stock stock that Blade is trading in. Blade Two is trading in, and and the action scene is just so much fun because the choreography is really good and it's lit really well, and all the world is world is really fun. And just like you know, nothing is quite as much fun as ha- as trying to kill a vampire in fun ways. You know. Yeah, you've got to invent, you know, ways that this is interesting and it's not just stabbing them with a silver blade or shooting mm. them with a silver bullet. Blah blah blah. Though. The action, I think, is one of the strongest things of yeah. this film. It's so, uh, like you say, creative, but it looks stunning, I think. Mm. Um, I think the choreography is amazing. Like you say, Snipes, uh, Snipes, Snipes has a martial arts background, mm. does he? You know, um, And that comes across, like you were saying earlier, he knows how to use his body, how to hold his body, even when he's just standing still mm. or just standing up. It always looks tailored and yeah. beautiful and thought through. Um, it is beautiful. Um yeah, I mean, we're, I think we're struggling to talk about this movie almost just because it's Well, so you want to talk about actors now, you know, yeah. performances. You were talking about Ron Perlman? Yeah. Pat- Putman? P- I love, I love Ron Perlman. Perlman. Um, so he's the, he's the guy with the glasses and the goatee and the perfectly shaved head as the vampires. I think his name is like Reiser. Reiser. It's been a week since I watched this movie. I should he's, watch um, he's a good actor, isn't he? Yeah. And I hate him so much. Really? Not the actor. The, the character. Always the character. I've never seen him play a character I like. But he's in... Um, He's like you said, he's in Hellboy, isn't as he? As Hellboy. As Hellboy, obviously. Um, he's great as Hellboy. 
He's no, he's brilliant as Hellboy. I just dislike him. Why do you dislike Hellboy? No, just because you know he's an ass <laughs> and, and, and a twat. Um, what else is he in? He's in um, he's... Drive. Yes, he's in Drive. Yeah, yeah. Again, he's one of the low-level mobsters in it. Love him in that. Yeah, but such a good performance. Yeah. You know, it's like uh, you love to hate. Yeah, and which is he, really good. He was in like the Beauty and the Beast TV show. He was one of the guys in like, the nineties where like foreign film directors loved. To cast him. Like he's in Del Toro's first movie because he was probably like in the Beauty and the Beast TV show and Del Toro saw that and went like, I love you, you'll play the beast, you're so great. And Rob was like, I can't get arrested in Hollywood, but Del Toro will cast me in movies. And and he was in Alien Resurrection. Um, because again, like the director of Alien Resurrection is, is a French guy. Um, Jean-Pierre, Jean-Pierre Junet, and um, and he likes Ron Perlman, and he's really mm. fun in Resurrection because he's just like a a space pirate, Aye. like a smuggler. He's great. And yeah, I mean, he's in fucking the same room. He is a brilliant genre actor who is yes, always delighted good, to be in yeah. those movies. And and him being a, like, you know, a vampire in, in Blade 2, king shit. And all the vampires. You've got Donnie Yen is one of the vampires. He's, he's oh, called I love Snowman. Him. That was great. He's great. I love how, he, how he's introduced where he's like, Snowman, he's like, does this weird salute with like a uh. fist and finger guns? It's like, what was that? <laughs> he doesn't get a say a line before he's like killed. Yeah, I, I kind of wish there was more of him. I think if they made this film like now, they'd be like, Donnie Yen, all in on mm. Donnie Yen, because he's <laughs> awesome. Are there any other performances worthy of um, note? No, I or mean, critique? like, I, I just, I really think Luke Goss as the, as the King Reaver is like, he's. Which got, one's he? Is, as like the primary Reaver, Jared. Who's, the real baddie, the one who's. Spreading the virus. Yeah, the, ah, who's infected okay. with the virus by his father. Ah, I, like, I think he's got a real passion in his performance and a real, like, um, uh, a rage as well and a dis- and a physical discomfort mm-hmm. with what he's become, but also, like, the ability to just walk into a room and mess around. Like, he doesn't look happy to be a reaver, mm. but, you know, and he's not, like, enjoying the, the violence and some of the blade does, but he's getting some sort of, like, you know, Burning revenge desire. Yes, it's very much desire. the Frankenstein's monster thing, isn't it? Of, yeah. you know, he's been created by his father, his actual father in this case, you know, and turned into a monster and then sort of rejected a bit and, yeah. and is treated as a, this monster, this awful, horrible thing. So, of course, he's going to go around killing and slaughtering people. Yeah, I, I think it's a great melodramatic mm. performance. Yeah, and, and, it is uh, melodramatic, isn't it? It's and, really good. But he's also, he's very restrained. Like, it's a perfect melodramatic fit, but he's very restrained in it. Like, he's 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 all, like... Boiling, boiling tension beneath mm. the surface. Yes. Talking of, what did we think of Chris Christopherson? Oh, he's great. He's he's like an he's like an old I, shoe. I love him. Shoe. He's an old boot. I love just like give me those. They're comfortable, but they're really like well worn and leathery, and just like they're so durable. He is very leathery <laughs> and well worn, isn't he? I loved that character. I thought yeah. it was really weird because, like you say, you know, he's he's been held captive for mm. however two long, two years. Um, we don't really know, you know, what they did to him. Yeah, they tried to turn him, but they just they tortured him. Tortured him. They might have, you know, um, done a sort of, you know, mind manipulation games, whatever, um, and converted him. We don't know mm. uh, that he's not. You know, we don't know that he's solidly on Blade's side. He might be. You know, working behind the scenes, it might be a oh. double agent. See, I I thought that might be a tension they were bringing in when they first brought him back, and because like, uh-huh. ah, if he does, if he's not, t- uh-huh. if, if, if if a cure doesn't work, and then we need to kill him, mm. and then like I thought ten minutes later, like, no, no, Whistler's back. Whistler's back. He's great. We're gonna keep him around. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I thought that uncertainty, you know, stayed right throughout the film. Actually, you know, there's a bit in, um, well, 
if you haven't seen the film, obviously mm. it won't make sense, but there's a bit, you know, when he's on the roof and he's sort of um, keeping guard on things, mm. but there's several points throughout the mm. film where he's doing something a little bit like you don't quite understand, you know, what he's doing. He might just be, um, you know, mm. yeah, he might be there on guard, but he might, you know, sod off and disappear and then the camera uh, doesn't follow him properly, blah, 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 blah. Um, and you never really yeah. know. And you, you know, if he turned around right at the end of the climactic scene and, you know, held a gun up mm. to blade, you wouldn't be hugely surprised no. because it has sort of been traced throughout. And well, I thought that's so good. I'm glad you brought really up because I actually forgot that that happened in that scene because it's one of the things I love. It's in the nightclub scene. Um, in, outside, Scud, who's the, like the new one, played by Norman Reedus from The Walking Dead. Like, this was around the time of the Boondock Saints and um, he's just kind of like breaking out as an actor. And um, he's in the van with all the tech and mm. Whistler's on the roof with a sniper rifle and it's raining. And then all the Reavers start like attacking the van while they're fighting inside and while Blade and Nyssa are like running around and Scud's freaking out and Whistler's nowhere to be found. He's not providing cover. And, you know, so Scud's going around like murder, like tr trying to survive with the Reavers. Turns out they have successful to UV light, the sunlight stuff. But... And then Whistler shows him, like, where were you, man? And obviously they're, like, seeding that, and it turns out to be a good, like, misdirection, because when Scud's revealed to be, like, a traitor, it's like, oh, of course, because he looks like slime. <laughs> Why, of course he's the traitor. But I'm not really thinking about that, because, you know, he's he's under threat. There's mm. a, th a real sense of, like, threat to him in that sequence, whereas Whistler, you never feel the same sense of threat for that, right. because he's just kind of not there and suspiciously absent. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, well, why aren't they going yeah, after exactly, him? You know, yeah. is he on their side? And, you know, I thought that it was quite subtly done as well. Mm. You know, there wasn't like some weird corny line halfway through, like, oh, how can I trust you, Whistler, man? Nothing no, like no, that, no. no. Nothing like that. It's just all there, you know, it's just shown so well. I mm. thought, again, throughout the entire film. Yeah. I just... So clever. It's it's a perfect, like, Friday night watch for Blade 2, where you're just like... Oh, I just want to watch someone fuck some shit up, especially some vampires. They really need to be taught a lesson, get spanked with a, with a katana, and just watch Wesley Snipes like at like the peak of his movie star iconography, like kind of proving that. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty much out of things to praise about Blade Two. This is like a perfect nugget of um, pulp where there there isn't a great deal to dig into, and everything that is you know. Uh, you can sort of like passionately talk about as being the higher class end of pulp. We've already talked about it. It's the melodrama of it. It's the harkening back to the classic universal horror, universal monster horror stuff. It's the sort of like the, the, the cast and class system that is brought into it in the way of the nightclub stuff. And then there's like the gnarly, uh, like vampire mauling stuff in the nightclubs and all the reaver business. And then every single vampire death where they're just like disintegrated into a skeleton or they're, in the case of Ron Perlman, sliced in half vertically mm -hmm. and just peeling apart. Like all that stuff is so good. It's so good. It is, and you're clearly obsessed with the peeling apart of the back. I just, I really the flesh flaps. Like, what was the last film you saw a thing? What was the last thing you saw something like that was that grotesque? They're not playing for, huh. like the whole like what's so grotesque about that moment is, Blade kind of looks at it and goes like, huh, freaks. <laughs> and, mm. and no one there is freaking out about it. Like in the same shot or like same like sequence, you see like two vampires who put razor blades in their mouth and they go to kiss oh, each gosh. other, which is horrible. so like 
what the fuck is wrong with these freaks? And you're watching it go like, wow, they, they really love blood, these guys. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm struggling to think because it's not there to, I mean, the razor blade thing was a bit, but like the back <laughs> thing and, and all the other stuff you see happening. Arms. It's not there to make you feel squeamish and, 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 and horrible, I don't it's think. It's not like in, Saw, in, in, in a like way, a shock. Oh, no, not like Saw or something more, like um, a Hellraiser. Mm. Um, it's not like that. It, what it, it what it does do is make you think, God, these people are freaks. Not these people are disgusting, monsters, scary. These people are weird, and I can't get my head around them because they're, yeah. they're slightly different, you know. But which it, I think yeah. is so okay. It's just so clever, you know. It, it puts distance between the humans and the vampires, and yeah. then plays into all this cast, this pure blood stuff. But at the same time, as like you know, a lot of movies in the late nineties, early two thousands are like leaning into like you know the, um, the sort of Matrix aesthetic of the leather sporting mm. nightclub and mm. the rave scene. That's all decked up. People were decked up with like piercings and pierced hairs and black hair and uh, and um so i wouldn't say dyed hair like colored hair and like piercings and tattoos everyone looks very you know like uh extreme mm. everyone's dancing to new metal they're like well what would a vampire do because nothing a yes. human does that's extreme is going to be extreme for vampire obviously they would just peel the flesh from their bones and they look so blase about mm. it and it's such a great like twist on like accelerating and heightening the um the the nightclub aesthetic of Blade One and of other movies at the time mm. that feels so in tune with Del Toro as well because he's like he you know you could look at that and go like well that's monsters but he's kind of like yeah but aren't these monsters kind of cool and they're mm. human like it gives them such a weird human thing like this is what they do for self expression yeah. as well like they're freaky but they're also expressing themselves and it's it's one of the most interesting touches in a movie that's like kind of full of interesting little things that don't need to be that good. We are just like, they didn't need to put that in there. They could have just been in a vampire nightclub. And so nightclub with vampires, you might see someone's neck get bitten. But it's like that that tattoo, that like, you know, tattoo analog is so bizarre. Yeah, it's really it's, stuck in my head. Like that, that one thing, you know, clearly, you know, it's thinking about it and then taking a step further, yeah. you know, and pushing it one step further, but for a reason, yeah. you know, like, you know, they've, like you said, you know, they thought, yeah, we could just have this weird nightclub scene and mm. it could be like hell um, mm. in the Merovingians club in, yeah. in the Matrix. Could have been like that. But they're thinking, like, you know, like you've just gone through, you know, well, what, how would a vampire express, you know, their mm. blah, blah, blah. And it is sort of, you know, modern metal punk. Yeah. But one step further. Yeah, they're like, vampires in castles and underground mm. facilities with familiars, not that interesting to us. We can't like going out and raving and, yeah. and, and feasting on humans like in the throngs of it. Yes. I oh, just like, can you imagine being a human, like being invited as a familiar to a vampire club? I think you'd probably <laughs> just faint. You'd just be horrified. Unless you were a soulless lawyer. Like uh, that oh God, that, that is such a funny little bit. It's just like, like yeah, I hang around all these vampires, but I'm a lawyer, so I've seen it all. Um, like you, I, th I think, you know, I just, I, I love this film. I think it's really well made. And mm. actually when it ended, I thought, I can't wait to watch it again. I know. Which I rarely think about films. Especially with superhero films, I imagine you're like... like well, never with a superhero <laughs> film. <laughs> but the, the last film I felt like that about was um, Phantom Thread. Or, fa or Parasite? I think you like that. Par or Parasite, Parasite, Parasite. Well. But it's funny that like, you know... But the, to say it's two, you know, it's the, the, the same feeling. Yeah. Those two amazing films with yeah. this is quite something. It, yeah, I think it says everything. That's so a, you need to that's say that's no more. Great. If you know Joe, which I'm sure our listeners will be happy to do because he's a lovely human being. Um, that's, that's like a real left turn. But I, I really did watching it go like, uh, Joe was mentioning Bram Stoker's Dracula last week. He was really like, 
talking about mm. vampires and that stuff. I was like, I think Joe's going to really like Blade <laughs> 2. I think he's really going to get a kick out of it. <laughs> I did. It pressed all the right buttons. Yeah. It, you know, it was tick, tick, ticking all the, like, you know, that, that Matrix uh, stylized, you know, martial arts mm. and action scenes and everything. And it just looked beautiful. Mm. I loved it. Yeah, I mean, it, we, we can't really talk anything more. Talk no. anymore about you it. can't like, just how carry we, on saying How do we keep it. praising? Like, how do you praise an action sequence like where it's all like choreography? Mm. How do you like you know like how do you praise things that aren't just very silly? Don't it's a bit dialogue that stick out. This is a simple film. It's a simple film for simple people, and that's why I love it. <laughs> so I'm going with low art. This is a recommendation. Low art. <laughs> low art, amazing film. Perfect yeah. low art. I do have two little trivia tidbits. Oh, great! Down, if you like, yeah. Wait, do you have any? Um, you did this. For, you did this for our whole episode last week. Do you have any lines of dialogue you'd like to pull out and highlight for us? I've not pulled out any lines of dialogue, but mm. I have pulled out two little trivia bits. Um, the first one is that in that nightclub scene that we were just talking about, Michael Jackson was meant to make a cameo appearance wow. as a vampire pimp. Oh no, that's horrifying! Mm. Michael Jackson appearing as a pimp, which um, I think we're we're all quite happy we don't oh, no. we didn't have that Aged experience. Poorly. Aged horrifically, yeah. In the house of pain. Oh good lord! Um, and then the other one, you know, the um, autopsy scene you mentioned when they find out that the Reavers have a like a a bone around yeah. their heart. Blah, blah, blah. Um, they were doing something with UV light in that scene, which temporarily blinded 30 members of the cast and crew. <laughs> full on blind. Oh my God. So that was a bit naughty. That's great. But a little uh, fun fact. Uh, oh, it's, the lawyer line is Blade noticing a vampire tattoo. You're human. Barely. I'm a lawyer. Ah, talking. So some trivia about the character of Blade in, um, in the comics. Procured <clears throat> from the Marvel fandom wiki. Blade was a fan of police procedural television shows, which he watched while whittling stakes. He also enjoys police procedural novels, as well as being a fan of the novel I Am Legend. Blade also stated that he didn't like the works of Anne Rice, famous vampire novelist, and would only recommend them as a cure to insomnia. Blade's patented black leather trench coat once belonged to Wolverine. I, I don't really know. <laughs> that seems like a, a real... That'll be something they have to do in the MCU. It's like, Blade, where did you get that trench coat? It's a funny story. It was this short Canadian guy. <laughs> Blade considers some of the best music albums of all time to be Miles David's Bitches Brew and Beyonce's Lemonade. And lastly, Eric, not Blade, is a skilled jazz trumpeter <laughs> and has worked professionally as a musician. I don't know about you, but like, you know, knowing Mahershala Ali did Green Book where he's a jazz pianist, I really want to see Blade in the MCU, like, blow that horn, man. Oh, wait, his, his, Ron Perlman's character's name is Reinhardt. Hey, uh, me and the gang were wondering. The gang and I. Well, he says me and the gang. I know. Blade, what was that? Reinhardt, can you blush? But it's just like, why? <laughs> That's a weird, one of the weird little race dynamics that comes into it. It's like, yeah, can he blush? And it's like, Wait, I have to unpack this line in my head with all the weirdness that's going on in this vampire movie. Is this about him being a half vampire, half human, or are you just being a racist? It's like, why did that happen? You need blood to blush, don't you? But there's a bit of both. Mm. And then it comes back to Blade. Um, sorry, it comes back to Reinhardt. Reinhardt says, hmm, well, like my daddy said right before he killed my mom, want anything done right? You gotta do it yourself. He also said, and then Blade stops his sword and goes, can you blush? Disarms Reinhardt, catches the sword, and slices Reinhardt in half. Very cool. The names of the, the blood pack include names uh, Lighthammer, Chupa, Snowman, Priest, mm -hmm. 
and then there was someone else. Uh, one of the things, like, there's that bit that happens in a sewer where Lighthammer, who's this enormous bold guy with face tattoos, turns into a reaver because he's been bitten. And I'm like, yeah, obviously, he's bald. <laughs> and he just freaks out and turns to a reaver. I love that. And, and 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 how do they beat him? Like the 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 the, the woman who he's like well, one of the members of the blood pack who he's basically like married to runs away from him out of the sewer, opens the grate. It's daylight outside, and the daylight floods it and kills them both. It's such a cool vampire. Like this is the thing. Like you know, it's always fun to watch someone stab a vampire in the chest. You know, I see it many times on the streets of Peterborough. You know, it's always well worth your time on screen. But if you can ever incorporate like a light light into an action scene, like interesting uses of light you kind of won me over. And with vampires, it's the best way to kill them is just on film is just to like flood their ass with sunlight. So like any vampire movie, you like, it loves watching playing around with, it, around with the sunlight. Now I'm a big defender of the Twilight movies. It is, you know, I think a really smart choice they make to have the vampires spark in the sunlight that makes them like distinguishes them. But you know, you kind of want to see a vampire burst into flames a couple of times, you know? Yeah. Nice. Oh, I got Whistler says to Chupa, better get you some sunscreen, Buttercup. And Chupa comes back. Listen, shit kitter. Shit, shit, listen, shit kicker. You're about one cunt hair away from hillbilly oh. heaven. And Whistler responds, I love it when you talk dirty. This is a, like, alarmingly <laughs> vulgar movie. <laughs> now going well, through you did this. say it was an 18. I think you just proven it through that one line. I well, quite, yeah. I think just for that one line, it would have got the 18 certificate. Mm. Yeah. That's just... <sighs> anyway. Anyway, I'm yeah, done. Anyway. I'm done. <laughs> well, <laughs> let's, let's, um, this. let's wrap it up. Let's then. wrap so it up. Just, just, uh, just for the closing stages, let's go back. What do you both think of it? High art, low art, no art? Low art. Low art. Low art, baby. But we are saying mm. this is the high, this is how low art should be. This is oh. low art done right. Oh, this is Absolutely. pulp fiction. This is so great. We're not low saying art. like, let's say Deadpool. We were like, yeah, it's low art. It's no, just... no, you were like low art. I said yeah. it was no art. Okay, you guys said it was no art. And I'm like, yeah, it's low art. It is what it is. That's fine. But this is low art. This is. This is. Hell yeah. Like you, you want to get an idea of, of how you can make trash with style? This is trash style. I know. Oh my god, it's so great. I might just have to. Oh, Martin. <laughs> anyway, next week, which um, if anything like has it, will not be a re-recording of previous episodes. We will be talking about Kickass. Kickass, the 2010 film about superheroes who aren't super, who adapted from Mark Miller's comic book, directed by Matthew Vaughan. And um, yeah, we'll be talking about that next time. So um, watch it. Go home and watch it. Um, go home, and watch Blade Two, and then watch Kickass in preparation for the podcast because I think we'll probably have more to say about that then day two maybe okay all right things crossed until then like the facebook like the follow facebook. us on twitter <laughs> hopefully we say this every episode hopefully they will be up by that yep, point you know, like us on facebook and, yep. and follow us on twitter like share subscribe review uh to the podcast itself on whatever your podcast are of choice is are you spotify and about you gentlemen <laughs> i am the same yeah. yeah other podcast providers are available we're not the BBC. <laughs> I can't stand that in the BBC. We don't want to offend them. <laughs> we want to offend the BBC. They won't let you on. Ah, fuck it. Like, if the, look, if the BBC are going to pay me, sure. Not the fine. BBC. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean Spotify? Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, you mean the other podcast apps? Yes, George. All <laughs> oh, right, no, no. Spotify only. Spotify, a great company that's never done anything wrong. Anyway. Okay. Like that, children. Whatever you listen to your podcasts on. Listen to high, low, or no on the podcast yeah, exactly. applications. And always remember to include the word or in your search bar. And on that note, it's goodbye from Martin. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Joe. Goodbye. And goodbye from me.